Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Y'all can grab a seat and as you do, my name is Todd Berkey and um, it's a happy name, isn't it? Berkey. It's, just, it's hard to say without smiling at the end of it. Uh, I think it's the key thing, but as Jacob mentioned, I am here at Grace, and I work with our young adult ministry. It's called Junction, and we're usually here on a Thursday night, so if I happen to say, hey, this evening, forgive me. Uh, this is a, a new thing for the Sunday morning for me is to wake up and be here and be ready to go, but I'm excited just a little bit more about me. I'm married. I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Erin. We have two children who are uh, awesome. They're 11 and 13, and they have energy to spare, uh, which is amazing, and just a privilege there as well. I grew up. A lot of times people want to know, like, hey, where'd you grow up? And uh, I just, all over the place, six moves before I graduated high school. And so uh, a lot of times people will say like, hey, I'm from Iowa. And I'll say, me too. And then they'll hear me two seconds later talking to somebody else, say, hey, I'm from the United Kingdom. I'm like, me too. And they think, Todd, you're a liar. No, I just moved around a whole bunch growing up. And speaking of moving around a whole bunch growing up, I want to take you back into my childhood to fourth grade, I was living in Richland, Michigan. Michigan, the state obviously shaped like a glove, and we weren't over by the thumb. We were over here on this side of things. And uh, went to this awesome intermediate school in the fourth grade. Uh, it was this old brick school that uh, had cloak rooms. So you're like, what is a cloak room? But like up north during the winter, it gets really uh, cold and wet. And so your coats are cold and wet during the winter. And you come and you put them in this cloak room, and it's different from everything else. And old radiator heat coming out. And just, it was a sweet building to go to school. But what I love most about school in the fourth grade was recess. And so I came out one day as a short fourth grader, because I've always been vertically challenged, and fourth grade was no exception to that. And I came out, and I was minding my own business, but the big fifth graders, they were over there in the field playing kickball. And their kickball came over to where I was, so I, I got the kickball, I was like, well, they probably need their kickball back. And so I take it, and I kicked it back. It was a beautiful kick, right back to where it needed to be. And I thought everything was fine. What I didn't realize is that there was a fifth grader walking over who was wanting me to have thrown the ball to him so he could go back with the ball. Now, to you and I, we're like, this is just not a big deal. But apparently it was to him. And so he keeps coming up to me like, why didn't you give me the ball? Why didn't you give me the ball? And I didn't know. I'm like, I didn't see you. I'm sorry. You've got the ball. Go play. And as he got closer and closer, I kept backing up, backing up, and boom, hit one of those brick walls. I could go back no further, and he reaches back, and boom, just pops me in the face. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, like, what, what do I do? I, I, I had no idea what, what was going on. I just kind of looked stunned at him, and he just like, that's right, turned and walked off. So that was my first fight. You know, I was awesome. I performed really well turn the other cheek or something. I don't know what happened, but I just remember, I was like, wow, what, what just happened? In that same moment, my friends from the baseball team, they saw this unfold. They come running over. I'm like, Todd, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And like, well, he can't do that. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to stop him. And so uh, they had a friend. And this is the friend that we probably all had in our, in our middle school or elementary school, the kid who got held back. Like... <laughs> Many years. He was the only fifth grader with a goatee. He had hair everywhere he could dunk. I mean, he was a big kid. And I didn't know him well, but my teammates did. So the next recess, bell rings, we come out, and the guy who had hit me, he's just kind of out there looking like he's really cool. And the big held back kid runs out. He's like, Hey, Tim, you pick on little kids? I pick on you. And 
the guy takes off sprinting, but it's no match for the held back child. He just, whoop, 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 tracked him down. I never had a problem ever again after that. You know, it was just, a, it was amazing. So uh, it's who you know, I think, is the moral of the story in all of this. When Jacob asked me to, to speak, he said, you know, hey, we're doing this series on Joshua. And I said, oh, that's really cool. And so I thought I would be a good student and at least try to see where he has gone, where he started, where he's going with everything. And so I listened to his first message and something he said really stood out to me. Uh, in essence, he said, hey, man, even in this new ground, a new semester, a new year, a new school, new roommates, new whatever, uh, we could quickly see that time hasn't solved our old problems. So you can change things around in your lives all over the place, and yet you realize that those old problems, they don't just magically disappear with time. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, yeah, that's true of problems, that's true of struggles, that's true of insecurities and, and areas of weakness within, with sin struggles specifically. They don't just magically disappear. And I begin to think about that. Wouldn't it be great if we had somebody who could fight our battles like that guy did for me in the playground? Wouldn't it be great if somebody else would step in and we wouldn't just sit there and have to endure with these things. Wouldn't it be great if somebody would step in? Well, the good news is, uh, is that God does fight for us. It's incredible. Uh, we're going to be talking about Joshua, but we're going to start here in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is writing not only to Joshua, but everybody else before they're getting ready to go into God's promised land. And he says this, he writes, when you go to war against your enemies, and I just, I highlighted the word when because you need to know this, that war is going to happen. As a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times where there are hot tensions and you're going to feel like, man, sin is attacking me. I think sometimes we have this idea of like, now that I've come to Jesus, I'll just have no more problems ever again. And then we're really shocked when all of a sudden temptation comes lurking. Like, what? We're surprised. We shouldn't be. There's going to be battles that happen as a follower of Jesus. So he says, when you go to war against your enemies and see the chariots and troops who outnumber you. So when you go to war, you're going to see your enemy and they're going to look huge. And you're going to sit there and think like, there's just no way. There's no way that I could overcome this. Some of you, if you're honest, if we just paused here this morning, you know, you know what your sin is. You know your area of sin struggle. You know where your insecurity lies. You know what the it is that time is not taken care of. And you sit there and you're like, this is just so big. There is no possible way that I could ever be liberated from this. It's just scary. And so a lot of times we just kind of ignore it. We try to run away from it. You know, we're just, ah, but Moses is, is letting them know, hey, it's going to feel that way at times. But even though you may be outnumbered, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt is with you. And as you move forward, and I think it's so important that we understand this. As followers of Jesus, our job isn't just to sit back and wait for temptation to come our way. It's not just to sit back and just be like, hey, everything's okay. That, that we are called as we're pursuing him that he's going to be rooting out things in us that are not of him. There's an active progression moving forward. So as you move forward into battle, the priest will approach and say to the soldiers, I, I find this humorous to me. The priests, the professional religious people, they're going to come and make a very, very keen observation. Uh, listen, Israel, today you're moving forward to do battle. Oh, well, thank you, priest. That's why we're here. We're, we're going to battle. I thought we were going to Wendy's for a burger. You know, I don't know. But as you move forward into battle, do not be faint-hearted. Do not fear and tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you to fight 
on your behalf against your enemies to give you victory. See, the priest points out the obvious. Yes, you're going into battle, but hey, don't fear, don't tremble, no matter how big they look. The Lord your God fights for you. He will give you victory. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, just talking about what does it look like for God to fight for us. Uh, If I were to ask you that and say, hey, turn to the person to your left or to your right and ask them, like, what does it mean for God to fight for you? What does it practically look like? Most of you would be like, oh. It would actually probably look like something like this. It would look like me coming up to the guy with a tool belt saying, hey, man, I really messed up lately. I mean, I just keep stumbling in the area of whatever your it sin is, whether it is pornography, whether your it sin is you don't have healthy balance with uh, time limits and constraints with video games and Netflix, you just run there as an escape. Whether your thing is you're so, like I just have a need for love that the only thing that I've ever figured out that kind of fits that is that I go and I physically use men and women to fill this void by crossing all sorts of lines with them to try to get my hit of love. And I keep stumbling in that area. I know I shouldn't, but I keep doing it. Or whether your thing is that uh, you just... Pressure comes on and you, you head to the drink, man. I got to just forget. I got to just check out. I just need to relax. I don't know what your it thing is, but so you come up, man, I really messed up lately. I keep stumbling with whatever that is that you know. And this is what we hear back. Oh, man, just let God fight your battle. And you're like, I mean, high graphics here, I know. I'm thinking about like if this whole teaching thing doesn't work out, like, you know. No, anyway, so, okay, well, How? What does that exactly look like? Uh, you know, just like, uh, God will fight your battle. Okay, yeah, you said that, but what does that actually look like? What does it look like? And it's weird, isn't it, that we have to have a, a conversation about how is it that you let somebody else fight for you? <laughs> but we're going to talk about this, and, and hopefully as we make these three stops, it will make more and more sense to you about why we're talking about it. The three things we're going to stop at today is, the first thing is different prep work. When you let God fight your battle, there's going to be different prep work and there's going to be a different plan. The second thing I want us to look at is it still includes you. You're still active in the middle of this. And the third thing I want us to really look at are very practical and and tangible examples so we can kind of put pieces together, not just go like, that's great in theory, but in practice, what does that look like? So as we're looking at Joshua... When we're looking at this different prep and battle plan. Joshua, you may not have thought about this. Maybe you have. But Joshua was there when all the plagues fell on Egypt. Joshua was there when they applied the blood of the lamb above the door that kept the angel of death from visiting their house. Joshua was there when they walked up to the Red Sea and said, why are we here? And, you know, this makes no sense, but then God parted the sea. Joshua was there to witness all these things. So Joshua, really from the word go, he has always been aware that God works just differently. And so by the time you get to the book of Joshua, this thing that seems abnormal to us and weird to us is very normal for him. And so right after they come out, they're, they're, they're not very far into the wilderness and all of a sudden the Amalekites show up and they're going to fight. And so what I want us to do with a few examples, and we're going to be covering a lot of different chunks of scripture. So I've got the references here for you to come back and look at, but I, I want to just tell you what's happening in this event. God is going to promise them a victory over the Amalekites. 
Now, the preparation or the plan for how that's going to happen, we don't know quite yet, but the provision or the result is going to be victory. And it's the in-between thing that that's what we really need to know. How does God work in this area? So in this instance, for example, Moses doesn't tell Joshua, hey, I need you to go scout the territory. I need you to go and figure out the best way to fight the Amalekites. Go do a bunch of research about how they fight in the past. Go examine what swords they use. Now, that's not at all what he says. Nor does he say, hey, go scout the land and set some traps. Those would make sense in our minds. Like the battle's gonna take place here. Let's go check it out. He's like, no, just choose some people and go. And I'm gonna go up on a mountain. I'm gonna hold a stick over my head. I mean, that, that, that's God's strategy, which is incredible. This is one of the most amazing stories. So you have the battlefield down here and you've got the Amalekites here and you've got Joshua here and they're fighting. Boom, boom, boom. But then you have Moses over here on a mountain with the staff of God raised high. And when that staff of God is raised high, There is victory down here. Joshua can't help but win. I mean, he could be blindfolded. He could be fighting backwards. He could be with a cup of tea in his hand. It doesn't really so much matter what he's doing on the battlefield because Moses' hands are raised. This is God's battle plan. It's not so much dependent upon Joshua as it is Moses. And then the weirdest thing happens. Moses lowers his staff. My arms are tired. And as that happens, the Amalekites start boom, boom, destroying Joshua and crew. And at that point, no matter how hard Joshua tries, he still experiences loss. So it's this principle of it's not so much what's happening here as it is what is happening over here with Moses holding his staff high in the air. His arms get tired, buddies come along, hang on to it, and they're good to go from that point forward. Victory happened in a very unexpected way. Let's move forward. Joshua and they're coming out of the Jordan River. And it's time, God's like, woo, it's time to go into the promised land. You guys have been waiting around for this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. And so when they come into it, you're going to cross the Jordan. But what does he ask the people to do to prepare for this battle or this amazing thing? Does he say build a boat? No. Does he say build a bridge? No. Tie a safety line? No. Get a bucket. Help me stop flowing the river. I'm going to dry it up, so help me out. No. Consecrate yourself. Everybody go and abstain from sex. And look at what you have and the things that are, that are unclean, get rid of them. That's what I want you to do. That's the request. It makes no sense in our minds. In my mind, it would make the most sense of, we're going to cross the river. Okay, I need to go scout a low spot where it's easy for everybody to go. But that's not what God asks. It's a totally different plan that he has. Consecrate yourself. Then they come into the land, and now there's Jericho. Jericho sits. There's a nice big plain that's sitting there. And so there they are, like, we're going to go conquer that city. All right, we're going to go take it. And of course, again, if it's me, what makes the most sense? Let's train with those swords. Let's get some archers going, man. Let's figure out how to do this better so that we can really conquer that city. But what in the world does God have them do? I want you to celebrate the Passover. I want you to circumcise those who haven't been circumcised. I want you to essentially lay defenseless in enemy territory. And then I've got this great plan. I want you to go and march around the city and then go, boo, you know, and the walls are going to come down. Like, this just makes no sense. If you really just stop and read scripture sometimes, you sit there and you have to go like, what? This does not make sense at all. I went through this before with a, a Marine several years ago. And I was like, what do you think of this battle tactic? He's like, it's horrible. So, you know, it just doesn't make sense in our minds, but God's economy works totally different, which shouldn't surprise us, right? In Isaiah 55, he tells us that his ways are different than ours. Even when we look at salvation, 
He doesn't say, work harder to earn my right. No, he says, I sent my son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's about belief and not about works. It doesn't make sense. We need to understand as we're going through here that God's battle plan looks radically different than what you or I think. We've seen three examples of it. But then we come into this unique story in Joshua with the land of Ai, the the city of Ai. And this is the story of we're reading, we're like, finally, this makes sense. Because what do they do? They come out and they said, we're going to go conquer Ai. That sounds great. They send some people out. They look around. They say, 2,000, 3,000 men, that's all you need. And they say, let's be on the safe side. So they go and they take 3,000. What happens? They lose. Huh. So the only time that we're, we're actually going about things in a way that makes sense in our minds, defeat happened. Every other time when it makes no sense, there's victory. It's possible, just possible, that God's way of fighting for you is going to look different than what you or I think. And of course, Joshua has to go back and fight against I again. They have a different battle plan. It looks very similar though. Conquer it. They don't go do more push-ups. They don't order a catapult. No, he encouraged them, go consecrate yourself. And victory happens. The whole point, you're like, why that history lesson, Todd? We need, we've got to understand this, that God's prep work and his plan for victory, it is different than ours. It just is. Now, a little confession. Years ago, when I was in college, I swore like a sailor. I mean, it was, it was bad. I mean, bad. People who know me now, they're like, there's no way. I'm like, oh, if you could go a sentence without me dropping a four-letter word, it was, it was amazing. And so I just really, I didn't even view it as a struggle until one day I'm walking home from the rec center, and as I'm walking, I hear two guys talking in front of me, and they're just swearing every other word. I'm like, oh, man, they just sound, they kind of sound dumb. You know, oh, that's how I sound. You know, like this discovery, like this is a problem. And so I'm like, all right, let's get into this. I'm going to solve this. Every time that I say a swear word, it's 10 push-ups. I invited others around me saying, here's the deal, guys. I'm trying to break this habit of swearing. So you help me. If you hear me say it, you make me do 10 push-ups right then and there. All right. So I had my accountability network all set up. I've got my plan. I'm ready to go. And man, I did a lot of push-ups, a ton of push-ups. And my bad language didn't go away. As a matter of fact, if if I'm honest, there has never been a victory in my life over sin that has been achieved through my own effort. The very time that I look and say, I want to stop doing this, I fail. Never once have I applied myself and just tried harder and overcome. At best, I might suppress the behavior. My swearing was reduced, but not totally gone away with. And not only that, it was reduced, but inside, the urge was still there. And that's not freedom. I think that God has something totally different for us. So, swearing stayed around. The next thing I want us to know, not only does the plan look differently, but it includes you. Some people I've talked with over the years, they've, they've, they've said this, well, God's just delivered me from everything, so I just sit back and I do nothing. Like, well, you know, yes and no. I think that you're going to be involved in it somehow. I mean, I, the Battle of Jericho, I think that there were people involved against the Amalekites. I think people were involved. So prime example here, let's say that you, one of your things is that you just, you always run a Netflix. That is your idol. When things are going bad, you escape into your land of fantasy. 
You have, you have no healthy boundaries. It's like, this is just where you spend all of your life. And you realize that, man, instead of running to Jesus, you've been running to here. And it just continually lets you down and continues to make isolation in your life all over the place. And you realize this is not healthy because you're also starting to look and say, well, what are the things I'm actually watching? They're not really great. And so as God begins to convict you of that, the reality is he's probably not just going to come through and like, okay, it's all solved as you're sitting on the couch with your remote. You know, there's probably going to be a time that, and I had a cool transition, but we lost. It's really sad. But there's probably going to be a time that you get off the couch and you're outside, maybe you're on the trees with some other friends. There's going to require you. You're going to be involved in this. God is going to come alongside and is going to require some change in you. So there's this weird cooperation in the middle. But who's doing it? Is it you who's doing it or is it God who's doing it? I'm going to argue that it's God who's doing the work. And why do I say that? Remember Jericho? Y'all, do you, when you read scripture, do you sometimes just go like, wait, what? Like, can you imagine putting yourself there? You're hanging out and you're supposed to go conquer Jericho and your fearless leader, Joshua, comes running up. He comes just running up and says, hey guys, good news. I just talked to the Lord and he told me we're gonna win at Jericho today. Yeah, I'd be really excited by this time. So here's our strategy. What we're gonna do, we're gonna get up and we're gonna, shh, we're gonna tiptoe. We're gonna walk around the city and then we're gonna come back and be here for tonight, okay? Like, are you are you kidding me? That makes no sense. I mean, I would just love to have heard that sales pitch. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. How many days did they walk around Jericho? Does anybody know? I'll give you a hint. It's greater than six, and it's less than eight. What do you think? Seven. Somebody in the first service said 6.5. So we, we rounded. Seven is the right number. Now you're like, why are we going through all this? Well, you've got the days of the week listed here, and you might notice that the Sabbath is there in blue. How much work, how much work were people supposed to do on the Sabbath? Zero. And yet we know one of those seven days that they went out and walked around, engaged in battle, was the Sabbath. So how could they do that and not have it be working? It's because it was God. It was God's work in and through. It's really an incredible thing. So there's going to be this weird kind of partnership between you and the Lord as, as you step into victory in these different areas of your life. So let's go into a practical example. And why, I mean, honestly, why are we even talking about this? We're talking about it because if I'm honest with you, which I strive to be, many times when I would read Romans 6, I hated it. See, in Romans 6, you read in verse 6 that you are no longer to be slaves to sin. In in verse 7, you have been freed from sin. In verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies anymore. Stop doing it. Verse 14, sin will not have mastery over you. Verse 18, you're freed from sin. Verse 22, you're freed from sin. And so I read this, you're freed from sin, you're freed from sin, you're freed from sin, you're freed from sin. And then I would look at my experience and I was incredibly discouraged because I'm like, well, what is it? If I'm freed from sin, why do I have so much defeat in my life? Maybe some of you are far stronger than me, but again, the more I tried to overcome sin, the more I failed. And so I would read this and I would have hope and then it would just crush me. I'm like, my experience doesn't follow what I read. And now I'm not advocating here that we need to have experience drive our faith. But what I am advocating here this morning is that perhaps God's pathway for victory and freedom looks different than how you 
and I have been approaching our problems in the past. So I want to start with our example this morning where I'm talking about pornography. And you know, what's interesting to me, there's a lot of things that are interesting to me about this, is that Generation Z, which is y'all, when it comes to pornography, both inside and outside the church, there is a growing percent that sees absolutely nothing wrong with it. It says, no, I can image God perfectly by consuming pornography. I'm not hurting anybody. It doesn't affect anybody else. It's just not a big deal. Get over it. Both inside and outside the church. There's a growing number of people who just, because of that, there's like no check of the spirit in this. And I'm like, man, really? If that's the boat that you're in, I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you about how does that represent, how does that portray somebody who's been made in the image of God? How does stopping and and viewing pornography, how does that fall in line when God who gave us sex to be enjoyed, and he did, he hardwired us all with, with with desires for sex to be experienced in the realm of marriage. So explain to me how your consumption of pornography fits within God's viewpoint of things. And then we could continue to go on with human trafficking. We could continue to go on, and I could list out for you person after person after person who have marriages that have fallen apart because of pornography. I mean, I would love to have that conversation if you're in that boat of like, it's just no big deal. It's a huge deal. And the reality is that statistically, there's at least one person in this room who probably struggles with it, probably more than that. And the numbers between guys and girls, they are running almost about even. And so this isn't just a, a guy thing, a girl thing. You're like, can we just stop talking about porn? But it's important for us to do this because this is an area where I have seen so many young adults struggle. They want freedom from this area. And really, when it comes to porn in any sin, if you'll notice what it does, it distorts God's truth. And or it also gives you like a shortcut to try to get the payoff without any of the responsibility. Because if sex is supposed to be enjoyed with inside marriage, right? There's, if you're married, now I have responsibility to financially provide, to emotionally support. But pornography, I get to escape all of that stuff, right? So if this is a sin struggle for you, I want to lay out just a practical pathway. What does it look like to have God fight this battle for you? And it was funny, when when we uploaded the slides, Jacob said, Todd, is that really the size of things that you want? I'm like, yeah, it's perfect. Because you're sitting there like, I can't even read it. Exactly. It says porn in the middle, okay? In the past, I, I can imagine that this has been how most people that I have spoken with have approached pornography. I have a problem with pornography, they'll say. And now I'm in accountability. And the accountability partner says, okay, um, just don't do that. And they're like, okay. Um, And then the accountability says, so what we'll do, next week we'll get together and I'm going to ask you how things are going. Okay. See you next week. And so they go. They're separate ways. And they come back the next week and then they're they're hanging out at Chick-fil-A and then they're like, so, tell me, how has your purity been? Eh, it's 
that's a fine question, but man, like, have you looked at porn this week? Might be a more direct thing, but how's your purity been? Well, I struggled three times. I stumbled three times this week. Well, three is down from seven, so we're doing good. You know, just don't do that. Then they break, they come back, and it's the same cycle over and over and over again. We continually think, many people I, I speak with continually think that accountability is only about saying, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Confess. Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? And, you know, that's like, oh, a lot of pressure on me. And I want to propose to you maybe a different way of holding somebody accountable and leading them to a place of victory. So when people come and talk to me about I struggle with pornography, they kind of get weirded out by some of the questions I ask them. Because we'll look at a chart really quick, and you're like, what does it all have to do with porn? I'm like, well, because porn's probably not the deepest issue. But let's just start with asking you some questions about what do you eat? And like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, just what do you eat? I came to talk to you about pornography. I said, I, I know, I understand, but what do you eat? Well, I mean, I'm, I don't know, I'm a college student, I'm busy all the time. So I, I eat out 95% of the time, and then the other 5% of the time, I have ready-to-eat meals that I just pop in, in the microwave, and it's good to go. I said, oh, that's awesome. So I want to challenge you something. Since pornography is all about not showing restraint, I, I want to I slow you down. I want to challenge you to grow a meal yourself. I want to challenge you to go to H-E-B, find some chicken, and make it yourself. Like, make a chicken dish yourself. Like, well, I can't make a dish by myself. Does macaroni and cheese count? Well, kind of. I mean, <laughs> boil some water and stir. But no, no. I want to see if you can, this, this next week, let's just see if we can't make two meals from scratch. Well, Todd, what does it have to do with pornography? I really, I struggle with the porn. <laughs> and I'm like, well, here's the deal. Pornography is a little bit like my sister learning to drive her car for the first time years ago. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? She was driving on this road in a new neighborhood with no houses, just empty roads, empty roads. And so she's driving, she's learning, and this squirrel comes running out in front of her, you know? And she's like, ah, I don't want to hit the squirrel. So what does she do? She loses all focus of anything else that's right in the world, and she looks at the squirrel, continues like, I don't want to hit the squirrel, don't want to hit the squirrel. As she doesn't want to hit the squirrel, she keeps veering towards the squirrel because that's what she's looking at. And she gets confused of which, which pedal is gas and which is brake, and so she continues to push down on the gas. So she's accelerating and veering right towards the very thing that she wants to avoid. Where you are focused is where you will go. And so with pornography, if we're like, I just have to avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, I'm still focused in on pornography and not the deeper issues. And so I get it, and so I'm just like, let's just try something different. Can I hold you accountable for cooking two meals? I'm going to ask you what you had, and man, did you bring me any leftovers? Call your mom if you don't know a recipe. Look it up online if you don't know a recipe. Better yet, maybe you invite a friend over and you cook for them or you cook with them. So you're not spending so much time alone and isolated. So we might start with, with food. We look at the entertainment. And I might encourage them, like, hey, you only watch Netflix. Maybe you should try network TV and not on a DVR. Maybe you should have to watch the commercials and grow some patience and restraint. No! You know, I, who knows? It comes out. When you look at re- relationships and friendships, man, how healthy are those? Do you spend your entire time talking about you and your struggles? Or are you actually intentionally invested in them? I, Again, quick story, met with a guy who was just struggling with a whole bunch of different things and, and there was a lot of selfishness that was going around. And so finally I was like, hey, what's the name of the person who gave you that $10 you just told me about? He's like, I don't know. Well, what kind of car does that person drive who's picked you up and taken you to three different events? I don't know. 
What job do they do? If you don't know what car or their name, what, what do they do for a vocation? I don't know. Why are you asking me these questions? I'm like, have you realized that this is all about you? You've not healthily invested in anybody else. But Todd, I want to talk about porn. I said, I do too, but what's going on? There's a deeper issue that God wants to address in all these other areas of your, of your life. It's the same thing, you go to work, you talk about prayer. Man, I love to park on prayer there for a while. Are your prayers just all about help me, help me, help me? Or is there genuine gratitude and thankfulness? Do you pray for those that you're now getting to know their names and what they do for vacation and what they're studying? And you're getting to know what their families are like and when they're going home and they're terrified about going into a socially dysfunctional situation that has always brought them defeat in the past. Do you spend an incredible amount of time and energy and effort just praying for them? Man, God, as they go, I know that you go with them. I know that you're there with them. I pray that they would walk well. I pray that they would know that your presence is there with them. Lord, I just pray that you would help them make wise choices. Do you do battle for other people in your prayers? Are your prayers just like, help me, help me, help me, help me, why me? Help me, help me, help me. Get them because they burn me. What does that look like for you? Serving, do you only do it when it's convenient for you or when you're trying to impress the girls or guys? Um, Not that anybody would ever do that. Man, that was me all the time in college. Oh, you need help to move chairs? Mm, Oh, she's cute. I'll help. You know, like, that's just, anyway. Faith, are you just a consumer? Do you just show up and that's it? Or is there some disciplines there that you're you're actually looking and investing in God's word yourself? As you continue just to work your way around, parking, I love this when people are like, what do you mean parking in porn? Hey, where do you park? Do you park the closest possible spot all the time so it's most convenient for you? Or do you think about others and think, you know what, I want to bless somebody by parking as far away as I possibly can and get some fitness and spend some time just talking to God? And like, what? What does parking have to do with porn? I just laid it out for you. It's not about you. Fitness, a lot of times people just uh, sit there and they say, no, no, I'm going to be lazy in that avenue as well. I just do Cheeto curls on my couch. Had a guy send me a video after we were talking about this message. He sent me this video. It's like, just do my Cheeto curls. It was really pretty funny. Um, but anyway, uh, identity, do you have any idea who you are? In Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Do you have any idea that he is thrilled with you? Do you have any idea that he's forgiven you for past, present, and future sins? Do you have any idea that he's just, he's just excited to meet with you? Do you have any idea that you're loved? I mean, it's just an incredible thing as we begin to think about, wow, this is what he's done for me. And then we're back around to to eating. See, what you find in these things is that porn really wasn't the deepest issue. There are other deep issues that are going on uh, around there. We begin to learn to, to understand who he is and what he has said about us, what is truth. Let me bring you back to the language thing. See, again, I did a lot of push-ups. No victory, no victory, no victory. And the crazy thing is, I can't tell you exactly when there was victory over my language, but I can tell you how it came about. I began to spend more and more time um, learning about who Jesus is, learning about what he has done, learning about what he has given me, this new life. And I was just thrilled. I'm like, no way! Like, I don't get it. Really, he loves me in spite of me? I mean, you know, when Jesus is on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? I reached a point in my life when I was like, my God, my God, why haven't you? Why haven't you forsaken me? Because I have, you name it, I've done it. I've messed up all over the place and I fail you everywhere. Why have you not just said I'm done with you and given me the boot? Why? Because of grace, because of Jesus Christ, because it's dependent upon what he has done and not what I am doing. And that is something to be excited about. And as I began to explore these things, my mind was like, this is awesome. God, you were, you were amazing. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, I, I haven't sworn for a while. 
Because the object of my affection was not to swear, it was Jesus. There was a movement in me, the direction and affection of my heart was shifted from me, myself, and I and my efforts onto him and what he has done. And there was great victory. And it's funny, as time has gone on, when things happen, when, whenever, and this does happen every now and then, boop, comes out of my mouth, that's usually an indicator that there's something else going on that I'm trying to manage things in my own strength somewhere else in my life. So all of that form, the little spreadsheet of glory and wonderment, takes a little bit of time to work people through. Wouldn't it be great if accountability then, you know, if that that same thing, you come to Chick-fil-A, oh man, and you're thinking, I've blown it three times this week, and the guy is sitting there, he's like, hey, good to see you. Hey, before we start, I just want to ask you one question. What's one thing you're thankful for? No, man, I, I need to confess to you the things. I, we'll get to that in a second. What's one thing you're just, you're thankful for? Man, I don't, I don't know. What if the accountability partner started holding them accountable for what you're thankful for as opposed to how you failed? What if it was, okay, so you're thankful for 10 fingers. That's awesome. What if I celebrated with them? No, you're supposed to get on me and beat me up because I failed. Listen, we all fail. That's why Jesus Christ had to come, amen? So you sit there and you begin that accountability relationship. You begin to ask questions, man, how are you doing with believing who you are in Christ? Like, when did you struggle this week of really thinking that you were loved or forgiven? What, what, where, what happened there? And you begin to share share your story. And what you'll find is you'll share that story, then you'll realize and that's when I turned to porn. But you begin to identify oh, the reason I turned is because I stopped believing who I was. I'd forgotten the truth of who God says about me. Wouldn't it be even a more exciting accountability time? Like to come in like, hey, what's one truth? You don't know. Let me share one truth that I, I was reading the scripture and he says this. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? I'd be so excited to meet with that person every week as opposed to dun, 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 How is your purity? You know, like just waiting to get me. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could revision what this looks like and see God begin to work miracles in our lives? Essentially, it boils down to this. In Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3, Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, here's his encouragement, here's the pathway to victory. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Paul says it a different way in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you go back to that chart and you're looking just at how do I honor God in all these other areas, man, porn what used to seem really big becomes really small and victory just begins to happen. It's really, truly incredible. Last little thing I want to leave with you before we go. When God fights your battles, you need to know it can include counseling. Some of those deeper issues, they really do need a a professional to help you identify things. And so don't ever feel like, man, because I need to go to counseling, that means I'm less than a Christian. No, not at all. It's very possible for that to be a part of God's pathway of fighting for you. Another one is that victory may take some time. Remember walking around Jericho? Remember seven days? And so you may sit there and go like, man, Todd, I've been eating differently. I've been doing these things differently, but I'm still struggling with porn. And as you come and you talk with me, and I may say something like this, it's because you're in day two. You're in day two of walking around. The victory's already happened, but you're in day two. You just haven't experienced it yet. Just keep walking. Because there's seven days. Just keep honoring God in these other areas. 
Let him deal with those deeper issues because victory, it's his. He will fight for you. And the last is this. In that process, because it takes some time, there will be mistakes that are made and you need to understand there is an incredible amount of grace, an inexhaustible amount of grace. So when you show up and you're feeling horrible because you have dropped the bomb again, you've said bad words or you've shown up and you've failed in pornography again, you need to know you're still forgiven. You're still loved. He's still thrilled by you. He's not withholding his love and affection from you. There's freedom in that. Absolute freedom. So what we've covered today, as the band is coming forward here, we just looked at a different way. When God is fighting your battles, I think so many times we get so consumed thinking it depends upon us. We, we just begin to think it's my energy and my effort. My energy and my effort, I couldn't overcome language. I don't know about you, but I imagine you probably reached a place right now where you sat there and you're like, I know what it is for me and my energies and my effort have not been able to overcome that. Maybe I need a new approach. Maybe I need to, as opposed to just coming, and you do need people asking those hard questions. I'm not saying those aren't important questions, but it can't be the only questions. We need to be flipping it over on the positive side. What are you believing about yourself? What are the deeper issues? Let's dive into those things. So let me close this in prayer. Mighty God, Lord, thank you. Father, you you fight our battles for us. And one of the biggest lies that we have, that I've fallen victim to, Lord, has been that that requires me just trying harder and harder and harder. And when I've failed, Lord, I've blamed you. Yet it is all me trying to overcome these issues. And I can't, but you can. Father, I pray that, that we would begin to look at how we hold other people accountable in just a slightly different way. We would call them into a deeper relationship with you, into more marvel of who you are and what you have done, Father. I pray that we begin to see liberation in areas that we've only seen defeat, Father, because you are a God who fights our battles, and that is worth celebrating. It's worth living out in every area of our life. Father, we absolutely, positively love you, we thank you, and we honor you. 